0: Do you not know, and have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning, and have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted... No sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens, who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's pray. Father, what a beautiful passage this is that speaks about who you are, your might, your power, your glory, your creative abilities, your awesome majesty. And we bow in reverence before you. Who are we that you should be mindful of us? And yet you do. And you care for us as your children. And when we are weak and when we are needy or feeling overwhelmed, you are there to lift us up. And we can soar, on wings like eagles. Father, would you help us as we look at this passage today to understand how that can be true in our life? We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I want to tell you this morning that, you know, I, uh, as my pattern is on writing a sermon, you know, I usually uh, study early in the week and then I write the message on Thursdays and I come back to it on Saturday mornings and review it. And as I came back to this message yesterday, uh, you know, I was so convicted (laughs) that this message is really for me today and you all can just listen in. You know, this is one of those times when uh, I've been uh, getting ready for the uh, trip to Ecuador and you have the normal responsibilities and then you have all these additional things and so you end up just kind of packing it all in to get it done and to get out the door. And there are times when Uh, All of us have those pressure points where you feel a little bit overwhelmed. And I was just like, Lord, I need to wait on you. I need to learn to wait on our big God. And that's what this message is about. And waiting is a difficult thing for most of us to do. Uh, We live in a world that's very fast-paced. It is busy. There's a whole lot of options out there and activities. And we tend to pack as much into our life as we can It's not always by our choice. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's just the nature of life in this world, in this country. You know, if you have children and they're busy with their activities and you have responsibilities at work and home and ministry and you're trying to hold that all together, there are times when life gets very busy indeed. And as a result, what happens for us is if we have to wait in line, Like in traffic, you know, they're doing road construction. You're sitting there waiting and not sure how long it's going to be. We get frustrated by that. Or if we pick the wrong line at the checkout counter and we're thinking maybe this line's going to go faster and the other one does and we're in the wrong line. Or even, I, I know people get frustrated even on the computer. If the internet connection is just too slow or the page is taking too long to load, you know, people are like, I'm on to the next thing and I will do that. And as a result, when I was thinking about all of that, this question came to mind. That if we struggle with waiting in the little things, which those things really are, how will we ever learn to wait on God in the more serious and difficult things? If we struggle with those little things and become impatient or frustrated, how are we ever going to learn to wait on God in the more serious and difficult things. And in his book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat, John Ortberg gave some examples of those more serious kinds of waiting that are real-life scenarios. There's the waiting of a single person who wants to be married but is beginning to despair of that ever happening. There's the waiting of a couple that wants to have children and desperately wants to start a family, but they aren't able to do that. There's the waiting of someone who's unemployed and would like to find a job that's meaningful and would make good use of their gifts and abilities, but right now it's pretty hard to find that job. There's the waiting of a deeply depressed person who longs for the morning when she will wake up and feel good in that morning and feel normal or feel like she wants to live and make it through that day. And there's the waiting of an elderly senior citizen in a nursing home who just wants to go and be with Jesus and wonders how long will it be. She feels like she's just waiting to die. Those are far more serious kinds of waiting. And every one of us in our life will need to learn to wait. We are going to encounter situations that are outside of our control, and all we can do is wait on God. And so it's very important that we learn to do that well. How do we do that? How do we do that with grace, with patience and humility, with joy even? To wait upon our big God. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Number one, that kind of waiting requires patience. One of the things we learn from Scripture is that God's timing is not our timing. You've heard that before, but how many times do we see that? We do. God's timing is not our timing. Think about the patriarch Abraham. How long did Abraham have to wait for a son? You know, when God called Abraham to leave his family, his country, his possessions, to come to a a land that he did not know anything about, you know, he packed up some of his belongings, his, his family, and he begins to move out. That's in Genesis chapter 12, and he is 75 years old at that time. And God says to him, Abraham, if you'll do this, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you, you know, an inheritance and children and all of these things that are promised to him. And through you, all the nations on the earth are going to be blessed because it is through Abraham that this line of the Messiah, the Savior, will come. And so Abraham obeys and he leaves his homeland. And he goes toward a land that he has never seen before that God has promised to give him. But when you follow that story in Genesis, you see how the time goes by. Genesis 15. Abraham questions God since he doesn't have a son yet and his only heir is Eleazar, a servant in his house. Is this what you plan to do? And God enters into an unconditional covenant with Abraham and says no. And he tells him that if you can can count the stars in the heavens, that's how many your descendants are going to be. He's got no son. And God's saying, I'm going to give you as many descendants as the stars in the heavens. Genesis 16, still no son. Time keeps going by. Years are going by. Sarah, his wife, suggests to him that maybe he should sleep with her servant Hagar and have a son that way who would be considered Sarah's son and that maybe this is the way the line is going to begin. Kind of a human solution to this situation they are in. And a son is born, Ishmael, but he is not the one that God is going to choose to work through. Genesis 18, years have gone by again. More years, 24 years in fact. And three men come to visit Abraham and Sarah. And they come and they say to Abraham that about this time next year, sarah will have a son abraham is 99 sarah is well up in years advanced the age of having children and she overhears this conversation and she laughs she laughs will a woman my age have a child i mean are you are you crazy i mean what is and the men hear her laughter And in kind of an ironic twist, the child that is to be born, Isaac, is named, given this name, Laughter. Isaac means laughter. And a year later, Abraham would have that son. Abraham waited 25 years for a son to come. He is 100 years old in Genesis chapter 21 when Isaac is born. Now, why does God do that? I mean, here is this promise, and can you imagine waiting 25 years and the questions that would come in your mind? You know, did I hear God correctly? I mean, is this really, am I just crazy for what I've done? Was this really foolish, stepping out in faith and trusting God in this way? I mean, where's, where's the evidence? Where's the fruit of that? Why does God do that? Obviously, God is concerned about more than just immediately granting our desires. In fact, the Bible tells us that God has other things to teach us through our trials and through waiting and through suffering even. Through our trials, we grow in patience, we grow in character, we grow in hope, we grow in faith, and we bring glory to God when we tenaciously hold on to him. Look at Romans four, eighteen to twenty one up on the screen. The Scripture says that against all hope Abraham in hope believed, and so he became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. And without weakening in his faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. I love that. I love that passage. I want to be like that. I want to be like an Abraham who has that kind of faith in God and is fully persuaded that what God has promised, he has the power to do. Abraham grew strong in faith. Abraham learned to wait on our big God. That's what God wants of each of us. In the trials you may be going through or the difficulties or the challenges that you will face, He wants you to hold on to Him tenaciously, to not waver in unbelief, but to give glory to God by being strengthened in your faith. And it's God who does that in us as we trust Him, as we walk with Him. He gives us that encouragement to continue to hold on to Him. And that ability to wait on God is a sign of spiritual maturity. It takes spiritual maturity to be able to do that well. But even in other areas, it's interesting how psychologists have found that the ability to delay gratification and control our impulses leads to better health, it leads to better relationships and marriage and better success in our work. That ability to wait, to be patient. And John Orberg again shared an illustration or a story that I know many of you have probably seen, even on the news, uh, Channel 4, for example, I've seen this story on the news. It's called the marshmallow test. Are you familiar with that? Where they take a child, a young child, They put him in a room with some marshmallows. They tell him that if he will not eat those marshmallows, you know, then there's this reward that's going to come afterwards. But if he eats one marshmallow, that's all he gets. The thing is done. And so you'll have these kids, and they got the camera on them, and, you know, the adult leaves the room, and the child is there with a marshmallow, you know, and he's looking at it. And it's just humorous what the kids will do to try and avoid eating that temptation that is there. You know, some will sing, some will talk to themselves, some will sit on their hands, you know. Uh, one kid even started licking the table, hoping that maybe there was a little taste on the table, you know, of the marshmallow. He's just trying to, you know, just avoid this. And then some kids, it's, just, it's over. You know, they just pop that thing in their mouth and they're done. And it's gone. But uh, Stanford has done a study of those children because they've been doing these tests for many years and they've tracked those children into becoming adults. And here's what's interesting. Those who were able to wait as four-year-olds grew up to be more socially competent, better able to cope with stress, and less likely to give up under pressure than those who could not wait. The marshmallow grabbers grew up to be more stubborn and indecisive, more easily upset by frustration and more resentful about not getting enough. Most amazingly the group of marshmallow waiters had SAT scores that averaged 210 points higher than the group of marshmallow grabbers. Interesting. All of this just kind of fascinating. Moreover, all those years later the marshmallow grabbers were still unable to put off gratification. And studies have shown that poor impulse control is much more likely to be associated with delinquency or substance abuse and even divorce. No wonder Goldman, in summarizing all of this, called the ability to wait well, the master aptitude. Interesting. You know, and I think of what God's grace does. I mean, this is not factoring in the spiritual side of that. But to be able to control those desires in us... I believe, requires the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in our heart. And when He is at work and we yield ourselves to Him, that really changes everything. And when by His grace we can choose to wait, to wait on the Lord and to trust Him to work in us, He gives us the grace to deal with life's circumstances. And we may see in ourselves tendencies to be impatient or to want to act on our impulses and do those things, But by the grace of God, He can change us. And we are renewed by His Holy Spirit. Waiting requires patience. Waiting also requires humility. And humility is an admission that I am not in charge. I am not in charge. In the first point, I mentioned that God's timing is not our timing. In this point, we see in Scripture that God's ways are not our ways. For example, in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, the Bible says this. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has a different way of doing things, doesn't he? You know, when I look at the world, I mean, if I were in charge, okay, you know, and I think about what's going on in the world today, you know, uh, there's a few world leaders that I would like to remove, you know, just kind of take them off the scene, you know. And then I'd like to solve the problems with the economy and give everyone a job, maybe myself a raise or a new car. And then there's a few other, you know, things I'd take care of, like, you know, world poverty, hunger, disease, and injustice. How about that for a start? And, and you know, you, you think about that and you go, well, if I'd kind of like to do that, well, why doesn't God do that? Why doesn't God do that? Well, he tells us that one day he will, but not today in this life. Not here and now. And there's a reason for that. His ways are different than our ways. There is something that he is trying to accomplish in our world that can only be done in this present world condition. I don't understand all of that. I come to the Scriptures to find the answers for that. And that's why this passage, like Isaiah 40, is such a great text for us. It is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because it talks about the greatness of our God. And anything that I think helps us to have a big view of God helps us to put our world and our life into perspective. You come to Isaiah 40 and you read these verses that I did earlier, that here is God and he is pictured as seated above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. Who are we? We're just these small little creatures. God is great and we are small in his sight. And he stretches out the heavens like a tent. You know, it's going to pitch a tent, you know, well, let's just stretch out the stars and the universe and then I'll make that my canopy, my tent. He does bring princes to naught. He brings rulers down to nothing. He raises up others. He does that all in his perfect timing. He says in verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? God has no equal. There is no one like him. He says, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. So who created all these things? God is the creator. He's the one who brings out the starry host every night. He's the one who causes the sun to shine every day. He does it all by his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. He sustains the universe by his power. If he ever were to ignore us or let that go, the whole thing would collapse is what the scripture tells us. And you come through these verses, and so he goes to Jacob, because Israel, Jacob, would complain at times, God, don't you see what's happening to us? Don't you care about what's going on in our country or our lives? And God says, why do you say that my way is hidden from the Lord, or my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, and have you not heard, The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. I am God, you are not. I do see, I do care, and I am preparing you for eternity. And part of his plan is to bring us through this life And to have us see the awfulness of sin and to one day be able to remove the dross to make us in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. He's refining us. He is perfecting us. He is bringing glory to Himself by those who trust Him. He does care. He does see. And His understanding no one can fathom. God's ways are not our ways. And just like Job, I need to be reminded of that daily. You need to be reminded. I mean, when Job raised his questions and came to the end and he saw the greatness of God, what did he do? He just shut his mouth. Just put his hand over his mouth. I shut my mouth, God. You know what you're doing and who am I to question you? Where do we find that truth about God's greatness and His power? Well, we find it here in the Scriptures, in His Word. And we find it when we come to God in worship and we sing these songs of praise that lift up God and remind us of His character and His love. We need that, don't we? We need to be reminded of those things. There's a story I read about a woman who, this is several years ago, bought a new car. New car loaded with all kinds of the latest high-tech gadgets and options. Well, the first time she drove the car, it was raining, and she didn't know where the wiper button was and all the stuff, you know, and so she's in the car, and she's trying to turn on the wipers. And instead, she eventually found them, but instead this little message comes on, and it says, drive car in 360 degrees. (laughs) Drive car in 360 degrees, what is that? Well, she got home, she took out the manual, and she found out that in trying to turn on the wiper, she had inadvertently turned off the internal compass for the car, and the car had lost its sense of direction. To correct the problem, the car had to be driven in a full circle, pointed north, and then the compass had to be reset. I have not heard of that before. Maybe you have a car like that, I don't. I'm driving an old model Buick, so... uh, no. Uh, And and when I think about that, though, every time we come together and worship, I find that there's a sense of resetting the compass to true north. I come to hear about those things that are eternal. I come to hear about those things that are most important in life. And what is it that God may be doing in my life? I come because it encourages me in my walk with God, it gives me perspective on my circumstances and my trials. And I am blessed by that, by our time together. We need that. We need to be reminded that God is God, and I am not. And then thirdly, what we see in the Scripture is that waiting requires trust. I need to trust that God knows what He is doing. And I need to do that in every area of my life. I need to trust God with my life, my plans, you know, my future, i need to trust god with my health i need to trust him with my work or with my children or my parents i need to trust him with my finances i need to trust god with my fears i need to trust that god knows what he's doing with our world do you ever feel like that you know you come to that and you just got to lay it down and you got to say okay god I may have challenges in different area of my life right now, or I may have things that I'm concerned about or struggling with. I just got to lay that at your feet, Lord, and trust you. And that's what God asks us to do. And if we will do that, if we will do our part of laying those things at his feet and yielding our life to him, what does he say that he will do for us? Well, that's verses 29 to 31. He says that he will give strength to the weary. And he will increase the power of the weak. That even youths, young adults, grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, those who wait upon the Lord, will renew their strength. And they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What a beautiful picture that is of what God will do for those who wait upon him. Do you ever watch an eagle in flight? I just love them. They're such majestic birds to see an eagle in flight gliding and soaring above. Several years ago, uh, in our neighborhood... We had a annual tradition. Our neighbors, Jim and Ann Galach would have a baseball game uh, every Memorial Day. And all the neighborhood was invited, and the kids got together, and we'd play this game. And, you know, if you've been in our neighborhood, you know that Jim and Ann, they cut a baseball infield into their front yard. Our, our house, you know, we're across the street, we were right field, you know, the Hanes were center field, another neighbor was left field, you know, we kind of block off the streets and traffic stops, and we'd play this game, and it was great uh, every year, and the kids would enjoy it, and they'd go all out, they'd have the music, you know, for the national anthem, they'd have the introduction of the teams, and it was just great fun and great memories for our kids. Well, one year when we set up to do this, and the national anthem was being played, in perfect timing an eagle came and began to soar above a flag was there mounted onto the street signs you know and we're out there we're standing and we're listening to the national anthem and here is this eagle just soaring gliding above riding those thermals and i thought about what it's like for an eagle to fly you know you don't see an eagle frantically flapping their wings you don't see an eagle, you know, just with this huge effort trying to stay aloft in the air, even though it is this mighty bird. Somehow it's learned to soar on the currents and to let the wind lift it up. It's like there's in this invisible force that it cannot see, but it knows is there, and it rides that current. And I think about our life, you know, when we are so busy, I mean, all of us, you know, we've got things to do. We've got our activities and our plans, don't we? I mean, like I said, you know, this is the part that convicted me and that I'm trying to do all of these things to get ready for the week ahead. And we feel that. We feel those things in our life. Our days are full, and we've got many activities. And I thought, Lord, I need to do that. I need to learn to ride on the wind of your Holy Spirit every day and trust in you. And when life gets busy or life gets hard, you lay that at the Lord's feet and you say, God, would you do what I cannot? Would you give me the wisdom to say no to those things that I can say no to and yes to those things that are most important and to trust you? And so today I want to encourage you to ride those thermals, ride the wind of his Holy Spirit, trust him to work, place your hope in the Lord, and wait upon him and the better we know God the easier it is for us to do that learning to wait on our big God requires patience and humility and trust and so maybe you come today and there is something on your heart this morning if there is a burden that you need to lay at his feet and trust him with I encourage you to do that in prayer If there's a step of faith that God wants you to take and fear is holding you back, bring that to Him too. We've been talking about, you know, stepping out of the boat and taking those steps of faith here in this series, and I hope that you have done that. Or at the very least, you have been considering and listening to the Holy Spirit as He prompts you in that way. It's been a good series for a number of people who have shared with me kind of how God has used it in their life you've got to remember that if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat, and you need to take those steps of faith. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you again this morning, what a great privilege that is. What an awesome God you are who knows us, who loves us, and cares about us. Lord, would you help us all to ride the wind of your Holy Spirit to live in such a way that we walk with you in fellowship each day, that we sense your power and your grace, that you help us to deal with the stresses and the pressures of life, and that we don't find ourselves frantically trying to solve them in our own energy or power, but we rest in you. And you give us the wisdom to know what is our responsibility and what is your responsibility. And you give us hope in encouragement and we grow in faith may we like abraham not waver in doubt or in our relationship with you but may we grow strong in faith and give glory to you we ask it in jesus name